Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. Bedford's cost segregation specializes in generating significant tax savings via their engineering-based studies for commercial real estate clients nationwide. Founded in 2002, Bedford is one of the largest independently owned cost segregation providers in the country with over 14,000 studies completed to date in multiple offices throughout. The most important decision ownership can make when incorporating cost segregation within their real estate portfolio is selecting the right provider. With only 43 certified cost segregation professionals nationwide, Bedford is proud to employ eight of them and takes the quality of their people as seriously as their studies. Every certified cost segregation professional has passed a rigorous test combining knowledge of technical engineering issues, legal tax issues, ethics standards, and requires a strict level of prior work experience to be eligible. Bottom line, not all cost segregation providers are created equal. So be sure to take the decision seriously from the beginning to protect yourself for years to come. Please contact Bedford's Business Development Director, Frank Judici, to learn more. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Kenneth Kastner. Thanks for being on the show, Kenneth. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, you have an expertise that anyone in this business, investors and operators, need to be familiar with. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation. But Kenneth grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and currently lives in Israel. During the last decade, he became hyper-focused on helping foreign real estate investors with their U.S. taxes and founded Kastner Tax Solutions, a web-based firm serving global clients with a smile. He is a tax partner and director of the U.S. Tax Department at VBIR in Israel. Kenneth, welcome to the show. How did you get into this business, for one? And I want us to jump in to you know just the implications for foreign investors that not only the investors need to know about, but also operators need to know about. How did you get into this space? Absolutely. I actually fell into this space by accident, I guess, but you know everything is for the good. I got my CPA over a decade ago and I was working in Israeli firms, mostly doing, you know, auditing and tax, you know, for Israelis and internationally. I'm an Israeli CPA. And then afterwards, I kind of like got into the U.S. side after I was working in EY. There were two senior managers that decided to open up their own firm in somebody's basement, you know, famous, you know, basement kind of (laughs) operations. And they took me in and they were, you know, their focus was only on U.S. tax. They had two separate, you know, things, you know, either Israelis or people that don't live in the U.S., but they're U.S. citizens and they need to file because they're expats. And the other group was also people who don't live in the U.S., but also not U.S. citizens. And they need to file in the U.S. because they have real estate investments in the U.S. So I kind of got into that and I saw, you know, that's what I wanted to do. So I went and I I got my EA from the IRS and, you know, learned on the job. And that's what I've been doing for the last seven, eight years, focused, like you said, hyper-focused on this specific topic. So, Well, let's talk about, I guess let's first start out for just the implications for the foreign investors. And let's talk about, you know, what they need to know, you know, as that investor, they're looking to invest in the U.S. We have some foreign investors personally and numerous others that would, li- you know, like to partner with us, you know, and so we've had to learn a little about this, but I, personally, I would love to know more. And I know a lot, many of the listeners uh, as investors and operators would as well. 
But can you just walk us through some things that, you know, the implications for that foreign investor, things they should know, and let's dive into some of those things. There's some technical things and there's some, you know, more serious things, obviously, on the technical level, planning on, you know, how they're going to structure their investment and how they're going to operate themselves. You know, often they're going to be passive investors because they're not physically in the U.S. So in terms of structuring it, you know, from a legal perspective, taking into account their home country as well as what's going on in the U.S., in order to avoid double taxation and terrible things like that. On the technical side, it's, you know, you have to get an ITAN, for example, right? You know, you're not a U.S. citizen, you don't have a social security number, they're going to have to get an ITAN in order to file taxes at the end of the year. And in terms of the structure also, you know, people often like the structure with, you know, the LLC. It's not always the best structure for foreign individuals. It depends really what country they're in and what their purpose is. Bottom line, there's a lot of planning before they invest and there's a lot of homework that they need to do. So I try to keep that that pretty simple and straightforward by asking them a few questions beforehand just to understand what type of investor they are, what their long-term goals are. And based on that, we can you know build the process for them that's unique for them because there is no one size fit all. Are they able to avoid double taxation? Of course. Just with good planning, they can avoid it. Double taxation in general, if whoever is not familiar with the term, is when there are two different countries that want to tax you on the same income. Okay, so in this case, when you have real estate rental income, that's what we're talking about mainly. The U.S. wants to tax that rental income because the real estate is in the U.S. physically. And the foreign country wants to tax that income often because the person that owns the real estate and it's getting that rental income is a resident of that country. And, and in many countries, the country taxes their residents on their worldwide income. So when you have that clash between two countries that both want the same income, you have to first see if there's a tax treaty between the two countries. Sometimes you have a tax treaty. Some countries don't have a tax treaty with the U.S. So if there is no tax treaty, it's a little more complicated and there might be double taxation in certain scenarios. But with many countries, there is a tax treaty and pretty much the way it goes is the tax treaty will say, okay, the real estate is in the U.S. on U.S. soil. The U.S. will get the first right of taxation. And then when the foreign country wants to tax them, they don't pay the full tax again. They get a credit from what they paid already in the U.S., And if there's any difference, then they would pay the difference. For example, if the U.S. taxes 10% and the foreign country taxes 15%, then they won't pay 10% plus 15%. They'll pay 10% in the U.S. and then just another 5% in the foreign country. Okay. No, that's interesting. It's great to know that there's even, I don't know, just understand that both countries could potentially be taxing you if you don't set this up correctly. You know, you talked about the need for, I think you said, an ETIN you know, or LLC. How, how difficult is that to obtain for the foreign investor? It's not that difficult to open up an LLC. Most LLCs can be formed online and you don't have to, you know, go into the U.S. for that. It might be a little more difficult opening up a bank account because they're a little more, you know, they scrutinize every single person that comes to the bank. But that, you know, that we can work around that also. The ITIN is a little more, a little more difficult because in order to get an ITIN, The IRS, in theory, requires the applicant to send in a form together with their original passport, their original valid passport, together with the application to the IRS by mail. Okay, not a copy. Their actual hard, I mean, the actual hard copy of their passport. Right, exactly. But they don't really have to do that because the IRS understands that people are not going to want to send their passport book 
to the IRS and who knows when they're going to get it back, if they'll get it back, even though they're supposed to return it right away, you know, anything can go wrong. So the IRS pointed and trained agents all over the world that can identify the applicant instead of the IRS. Okay. And these agents are called CAAs, Certified Acceptance Agents. And in every country, you'll have, you know, multiple CAAs. So the applicant, the, the foreign investor can just go to one of these CAAs in person so that the CAA can identify them and make sure that their passport is, you know, is valid. And then the CAA will just make a photocopy of the passport and send it to the IRS with their signature on the application. And that's how they get an ITIN. Although that takes a few months also until the IRS actually issues the ITIN, especially now. Plus, the IRS doesn't give out ITANs to anyone, so you have to have a reason for requesting an ITAN. The most common reason is because they need to file a tax return. So the application for the ITAN is submitted together with their first ever tax return. Okay. So it's good to know that you don't actually have to do that. I can see why you would not want to send your hard copy, especially if you travel quite a bit, right? I mean, you're not obviously, you're going to be grounded then for however long it takes the IRS to get that hard copy back to you. And so that, yeah, that's a real dilemma. But what about those bank accounts, though? How do they get those open? Right. So first of all, not every investor has to have a bank account open. Okay. They can, you know, they can operate with their foreign bank account, depending on what the structure is. You know, usually, especially if they're foreign, if they're passive, I'm sorry, if they're passive investors, you know, and they're just going to be getting, you know, they're going to be getting funds, you know, once a, once a quarter, once a year then, you know, whatever operator is handling that can just, you know, transfer the funds overseas. But if we're talking about somebody who, you know, wants to, you know, buy real estate and have it under their personal name or their personal LLC and, you know, and kind of like, you know, be a little more active and involve themselves, there are ways around it. Basically, the best way is if, you know, if, if they're going to be traveling to the U.S. anyway, you know, walk into, the US, walk into a bank and open up a bank account. There are certain banks that allow non-residents to open bank accounts from afar. But it really depends on the bank and on the situation. It's not like there's, you know, a rule for, you know, for all the banks that apply for everyone. It, it just every bank is different, but it is possible. Yeah. Well, you know, I know the structure, you know, like you mentioned, is different depending on where this foreign investor lives, what the, you know, what country they're from. You know, could you just maybe lay out an example structure for like India or China or, you know, I feel like those are a couple of very common countries that I know we receive investor, you know, inquiries from, you know, is that something you can, you just kind of help us to think through that a little bit, what that investor needs. Yeah. I mean, obviously the, what's close to in my backyard is Israel where I live. So I can, I can definitely give you a lot, lot more examples of, of how things work in Israel. Obviously every, okay. every country, every country is different. And, you know, before we have any investor, we look into the, the rules of that country. But since I focus on the U S side, I'm always going to be in touch with the local accountant as well, because, you know, I can't, possibly know the the tax laws in every single country in the world. So it's definitely we need to cooperate with the tax professionals in in that country in order to see what pitfalls can be over there. Some of the examples can be like I mentioned before, the double taxation issue if there's no tax treaty. No, just the structure if you were going to use like an investor from Israel, just the type of structure that they would need, for example. Right, right. The other thing I remember, the other thing that you have to be aware of is estate tax. There's estate tax exposure that's very different from U.S. citizens. As you know, you know, even though it might change or changing all the time, the estate tax exemption for U.S. citizens, you know, is currently, you know, like $11 million of assets per person. And for a foreign person that has assets in the U.S., 
the exemption is only $60,000. So that's definitely something that needs to be planned out ahead of time in order to avoid that structure, either that or just, you know, by the saying, you know, you can't, you're not allowed to die as long as you have U.S. real estate. But if you want to plan a little better than that, there are other ways to get around that. Instead of, for example, investing as an individual, they can invest through a foreign corporation, which invests in the U.S. that can you know, take away the, the estate tax exposure. Obviously, there are ups and downs for everything. So, you know, even though that solves the problem with the, with the estate tax, but you might have higher taxes income taxes along the way because of the corporate tax and the way it's structured. Yeah. Now that's some great things to, to think about for sure. You know, as that investor, I don't know, before we started the recording, you know, we were talking just a little bit about how a lot of operators are just, you know, turned off by, you know, foreign investors. Like they just say, Nope, we're not going to do it. No, sorry. You know, and close the door on it. And so why, you know, on the operator side, why should they, you know, not just turn that, you know, shut the door on that completely. What are some things, you know, they need to be aware of as, as operators? Obviously, right. they should not like, they should not shut the door because, you know, there are plenty more investors that, you know, they could possibly have all over the world instead of right. limiting themselves to the U.S. Obviously, that's the best reason. But ultimately, if the investor has, you know, a proper tax professional that's, that's helping them along, there's absolutely no reason to be deterred by that. What the operator is going to have to understand, although they're also going to have their own accountants and tax professionals can help them with that. They're going to have to withhold taxes, you know, for the foreign investors, as opposed to, you know, U.S. people that don't need withholding. They're going to have to be aware of different types of withholding, not just, you know, the regular withholding from income tax. You know, if we're talking about passive investors in a syndication in a partnership, but if there's no partnership, if we're talking about somebody buying real estate, buying a house from a foreign person, okay, then you have something called FERPTA. I'm not sure if you heard of FERPTA. But FERPTA is a law from 1980 that basically says that if you're buying property from a non-U.S. person, you have to withhold 15% of the sales price, not the profits, the sales price, and and only give 85% to the foreign seller and 15% to the IRS. And, you know, there there are a lot of different ways for the foreign seller to get that money back because it's usually too much tax. You know, that operator, how much do they need to be withholding taxes? What do they need to be doing as, you know, let's say we have an investor that's investing in a deal and, you know, we're paying out distributions within maybe the first month or first few months and monthly thereafter, you know, what should that operator, you know, be considering? Exactly. That's exactly what they need to understand because the IRS is relying on them essentially to, to make sure that they're going to get their taxes. Because they don't rely on a foreign person, they're afraid that the foreign person is going to run away to a foreign country and they're never going to see, you know, tax from that income. So they're relying essentially on on the partnership or on the operator or you know, whoever is is sending the money overseas to the foreign person, relying on them to withhold tax according to the proper amount by law. So that's not necessarily something that you know the operator has to be concerned about on a personal level because again you know that's something that's done in the back office you know with the tax you know accountants you know they they do the calculations but yeah it's definitely something they they should be aware of it at some level. I mean we like we personally send out the distributions you know like our accountant doesn't do that you know on a monthly basis we personally do that you know should we be withholding some you know some tax money there, you know, from those foreign investors, you know, even on a monthly basis as we send those distributions. 
Possibly. It really depends on the tax calculation. Okay, it's not okay. necessarily on the actual distribution because the distribution could be based on, on other things and not necessarily on how much income there was. I'll give you an example, right? If you have depreciation, if you especially have a cost segregation study, right? If you're familiar with the cost segregation, it's essentially accelerated yes. depreciation and it's a tax deferral method. So what that means is that you'll have cash in hand to distribute to the investors, but from a tax perspective, you might have a loss on the books. So if there's a loss or a lower amount of income, then there's going to be a lower amount of withholding. Okay, so it's not necessarily the amount that you're distributing. It's the amount that you're distributing that's classified as income. So that's where the accountant needs to be involved regarding the distributions. It doesn't have to be with every single distribution. It's essentially a quarterly withholding estimate that needs to be sent to the IRS based on the tax calculation. So it's a quarterly calculation. But essentially what you need to understand is that the amount that you're going to be transferring to the IRS is also considered part of the distribution to the investor. Okay, so if you're if you're telling the investor, okay, I'm gonna give you whatever, uh, you know, $100, but you have to give $10 to the IRS, you're only sending over $90, but essentially you're giving the investor, you're distributing $100, not $90, because the investor will have a credit for that $10 on, on his tax return when he files a tax return the next year, and will either, either get a refund or, or that'll just be, you know, on, on the account of, of their taxes that they owe. Yeah, great information. It definitely, I mean, just some examples why our team's so important and having somebody like yourself on our team, it just to better understand and ensure we're, we're doing that properly and we don't get caught behind there, you know, or years into it and we haven't even, you know, thought about they have the tax implications for our foreign investors. So anything else as far as for the foreign investors specifically or for the operator working with foreign investors that you want to leave us with, Kenneth, before we have to move to a few final questions? I just want one more sentence about that withholding. Like I said, the IRS is going to be coming after the Americans, not after the foreign people, okay? Because, you know, if you decide, okay, you know, I'm going to give the whole thing to the foreign people, I don't care, whatever, you know, let them let them figure it out. No, it's not their problem. It's, it's, it's your problem. Because if you distribute all of the money to the foreign person and you weren't supposed to, and the IRS will still come to you and say, I still want my tax withholding. Right. So you're going to have to figure out how to get that money back from the foreign person or take it out of your pocket. So that is definitely something just to be aware of and take that with you to the next part of this conversation. For sure. For sure. Well, Kenneth, what are a couple or any daily habits that you are disciplined about that have helped you achieve success? I would say every day. I don't know. Some people, you know, wake up in the morning early, meditate, things like that. So I guess it could be called meditation, but I, you know, I, I make sure to pray every morning start off the day, you know, thanking the creator of the world and basically putting things in perspective. And that's what allows me to have a good day with the right perspective. What's your best source for meeting new investors right now? I usually ask that of operators, but they're your clients as well. How do you meet new investors right now? Right. So besides for my website, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So people get, I think, I think you found me on LinkedIn also through LinkedIn and through bigger operators that I approach or that, that know me for my businesses in the last, whatever, five, 10 years, they have themselves a lot of investors. So if I go to the operator and, you know, say, you know, Hey, you know, you need somebody to help you with all these foreign investors, especially operators that are not necessarily in the U S but they're, you know, somewhere else they're forming, you know, a group, you know, there are plenty of groups like that, for example, right here in Israel, but could be anywhere in the world. And they, you know, they have all of their investors that they're helping 
invest in the U.S., all these passive investors, and they need somebody to do their taxes. So I think those are the two ways that I meet new investors. What's the number one thing that's contributed to your success? Number one thing that contributes to my success, I think that would be my obsession to detail. I was always an analytic kind of person, you know, even, you know, proofreading wedding invitation, you know, looking for those typos. So I think that's something that a lot of people don't have patience for. And the fact that I, that I have patience, you know, I catch a lot of that stuff, make sure nothing, you no, know, no rock goes unturned is definitely helps my success. Plus the fact that I like, you know, vegging out and watching a game of baseball, even though I live in Israel, I'm still a, you know, Mets fan at heart from my days in Brooklyn. So the fact that, you know, I can balance that, you know, that work with that relaxation kind of thing is definitely a key to my success. That's a skill in itself right there. No doubt about it. But yeah, thankfully you have a large attention to detail, especially if you're specializing in taxes, but definitely a skill you need to have. How do you like to give back? Okay. Well, I don't necessarily give back in the way of giving free tax accounting services, but I do have some nonprofit organizations that I volunteer at here. One is a charity organization. Another is an organization that that runs a community center and a synagogue. So I'm involved, you know, in helping with the management and the admin for that kind of thing. And I, I feel very good about that. I'm able to give back and, you know, in that way. Awesome. Well, Kenneth, I'm grateful for your time with us and giving back to us on the show today. I think working with foreign investors is something that most people, like we've said, you know, just really say, you know what, I'm not ready to do that yet, or don't want to have to figure that out, or, you know, don't want to open that door yet. But I think it's a matter of having someone like yourself on our team that can help us to ensure that we're doing it properly. Because we definitely want to work with foreign investors and open that door you know, and have that process completely legal and structured the way that's best for that investor and for our team as well, just to ensure both of our success. So grateful to know you and tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you and learn more about you. Well, the easiest way, like I mentioned before, is LinkedIn. Just search my name, Kenneth Kastner on LinkedIn. You'll find me there. I have some interesting things I post there, try to you know keep it entertaining. And through my website, and my email that I'm sure you'll post underneath this whatever podcast information area so people don't have to write down my email address live. That's the yeah, That's the best way to find me. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital making a difference one investor and one child at a time connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success